0: The Gospel lesson this morning is from Luke chapter 17, a very well-known story from the ministry of Jesus. It seems an odd text for stewardship ministry. I'll try to explain in a moment why I heard this as a word from the Lord to me on Stewardship Sunday. Luke 17, on the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region of Samaria. As he entered a village, ten lepers approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out, Jesus, Master, Have mercy on us. When Jesus saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were made clean. And then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And the man prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked Jesus. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, "Were not ten made clean, but the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then Jesus said to the man, Get up and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> the biblical word <coughs> for leprosy, covers a whole range of skin ailments from the very serious Hansen's disease which deadens the nerves and human extremities so that you cannot tell if the pebble in your shoe is slicing open your heel or that the pan you're holding is scalding your fingers to much milder ailments like eczema, psoriasis, or even a bad case of acne. Anything which speckled or mottled the skin, because the Jewish Holiness Code hated spotted things. Now, modern medicine has discovered that Hansen's disease isn't all that contagious. And as a matter of fact, it's hard to catch acne from another person, too. But earlier human societies didn't know that. So in most of them, a diagnosis of leprosy was akin to a sentence of incarceration. This was, in fact, true even in developed societies until not too long ago about 50 years ago the u.s government ran a quarantined leper colony on the hawaiian island of molokai for a hundred years ending only in 1969. in 1957 a 78 year old woman named meli mahula had been there for 69 years and when it became clear that her days were numbered, the Honolulu Star Tribune ran a series of stories about her life in the hope that the publicity would uncover any long lost relatives that might have remembered her. And so reporters knocked on doors and they ran a phone number in the newspaper for relatives to call if they remembered uh, Mellie. And the newspaper finally reported Miss Mahula has never heard a word from her family, from the day she was taken from them. She'd been there since she was nine years old. The only people who were at her funeral were fellow patients. The Hawaiians had a picturesque description for leprosy. They called it the sickness that is also a crime. And so it stands to reason that if somebody, a doctor or the Son of God, erases the disease from your life, and gives you a complexion as flawless as Halle berries, a thank you note might at least be in order, right? So one day while Jesus is on his way from Nazareth, the town of his origin, to Jerusalem, the town of his destiny, he encounters ten pathetic folk afflicted with the sickness, which is also a crime. From a distance, Luke tells us in the saddest words of what is otherwise a happy story, from a distance, As the law stipulates, stay away from me, leper. From a distance, these ten men cry, Jesus, Master, have mercy upon us. Jesus responds, go show yourselves to the priest. This is the fastest, quickest miracle in the Gospels. That's all he has to say, and they race off to the nearest cleric like Usain Bolt. On the way to see the priest, one of them glances down at his formerly disfigured hands and feet, and notices that his hands are as pure as those of a dove dish soap hand model. He slams down hard on the brake, turns around, returns to Jesus, falls flat on his face at Jesus' feet, and lets loose with a hail and hearty hallelujah. Jesus is surprised, maybe because one bothered to return to express his thanks, or maybe because nine didn't. Where are the nine? He asks plaintively. Odd story for Stewardship Sunday, right? But maybe not. A couple of things to notice about this story. First of all, we might notice that unspoken gratitude doesn't exist, right? Here's the thing about this story. Luke doesn't tell us that nine of these cured lepers were ungrateful for what Jesus had done for them. They were probably just as happy and thankful as the one who returned to express his thanks. All Luke tells us is that they didn't speak it. They were privately grateful. They were silently thankful. But that's pointless and doesn't exist, right? This is the theological equivalent of that old conundrum. If a tree falls in the forest and no one hears it, does it make a sound? Webster's answers no, because Webster's defines a sound as something that is heard. But a physicist will answer yes, because physics defines sound as a wave of energy that passes through a medium like water or air. And some of those frequencies are so high and low that no ear will ever hear them. So a sound is a sound whether there's an ear there to hear it or not. And the theologians agree with Webster's. Gratitude is like a sound. It's something that's heard. If someone is grateful but no ear ever hears about it, is it still gratitude? If you love your wife but never tell her, are you grateful? Ask her, she will tell you. If your parents ate peanut butter and jelly for eight years to put you through North Shore Country Day and then Northwestern, And now in your young adulthood, you never phone home from your snappy condo in San Diego. Are you truly grateful? Gratitude is something you hear. It's something you speak. It's something you do. So that's the first thing to notice about this story. Private gratitude doesn't exist. Here's the second thing. The story has the percentage about right, don't you think? Ten percent? 10% of us bother to thank God for unmerited benediction. To thank the giver of every good and perfect gift for life, love, laughter, health, and wealth. How many Americans do you think in church are in church this morning? If you ask an American, are you a regular church attender? About 40% of them will answer yes. If you change the question just a little bit, however, and say, Were you in church last Sunday? the figure drops a lot. And if you actually send observers into the sanctuaries of America and count every last bottom in the pew, the highest figure any of these vigilant ushers can ever scare up is about 17.7%. This is called the halo effect. Americans tend to over report positive. Behaviors like church attendance and voting, and underreport negative behaviors like gambling and drinking. Halo effect. Seventeen point seven Americans are in church this morning. A little bit more than one out of ten, but less than one out of uh, two out of ten. Right? Where are the nine? Jesus asked of those ten lepers. Where are the eight? We preachers, despondently ask every Sunday morning. Now, being in church for an hour every seventh day is not the only way to thank God for unmerited benediction, but it's at least one way. The third thing to notice about this story is actually something of a surprise. It has to do with who comes back to speak and express and do the gratitude, right? It's the outsider. It's the Samaritan. Luke tells us this almost in passing, but in fact, he gives us this detail to disquiet his Jewish audience, right? Because Samaritans were persona non grata for Jewish people. They were disenfranchised folk. So it comes as a surprise that the one guy who praises God with a loud voice is a Samaritan, one of the outsiders. But in fact, this maybe shouldn't surprise us, right? Because it's always the people on the edge of life who are grateful for whatever life will give them. It's the once impoverished who try to take care of those in need. It's the once broken who make haste to bind up another's wounds. It's the once lonely who reach out to befriend the friendless. If you've never been seriously sick, you probably take your health for granted. New York Times reporter Julie Salomon noticed. A strange thing, when she was pregnant, she began noticing what kind of folk would give up their seat on the subway for her in New York City. In order, it was women with children, women without children, old men, Hispanic men, African American men, and young white men. The most privileged are the most insular. She says, so what does that mean for us, the extravagantly blessed, the recipients of unmerited prodigality? We are in danger after all of suffering the insularity of our privilege. This might handicap or disable our capacity for gratitude. So maybe we have to work hard, harder at it than the poor. And so your stewardship of your time, talent, and treasure is a thick, solid, dense, vivid, colorful, dramatic expression of your gratitude to the giver of every perfect gift. The famous lawyer Clarence Darrow once solved a woman's legal difficulties, and she was so grateful she said, Oh, thank you so much, Mr. Darrow. How can I ever thank you? And Mr. Darrow responded, Madam, ever since the Phoenicians invented money, there has been only one answer to that question. <laughs> Actually, there are more than one answers to the question, how can I ever thank you? But there's at least one. And so the 10% solution to the prevailing ingratitude in our world is the biblical tithe. It hasn't changed in 3,000 years, 10%. It should be a distant goal and finish line for some of us and a starting place for others of us. Don't give it all to the church. There are other deserving philanthropies. Education is a good thing, so your your alma mater deserves your support. Beauty is a good thing, so the Lyric Opera and the CSO deserve your support. Public television is a good thing, so Ken Burns deserves your support. Hurricane Recovery Is a good thing so the red cross and the salvation army deserve your support god is a good thing so the church deserves your support we're asking for three percent three percent of what you have do you know what the household income the median household income in winnetka is i was shocked by this it's over well over two hundred thousand dollars which is almost four times the Illinois median household income of about 60. 3% of $200,000, 900 households this church has. You can do the math. What would our ministry look like with $5.4 million? You're a generous folk. You gave us $2 million last year. That was a wonderful, wonderful goal, and we achieved it. The Time Magazine cover story for tomorrow, September 25, is just the most wonderful article. You know, Time Magazine has reported so much bad news in 2017. Earthquakes in Mexico, the Islamic State, North Korea, swamps in Puerto Rico and Houston and Washington. And so if you want a little bit of an uplift, read this story. The cover story in tomorrow's Time magazine is called The Storms Keep Getting Stronger, and So Do We. It's about everything the United States has learned from the mistakes following Katrina and Sandy. What FEMA has learned and what the average American has learned. And so when it became clear about a week before Irma struck that It was targeting, Irma was targeting Florida. Florida Power and Light put out an all points bulletin to its counterpart power companies around the country. And a week before Irma hit, 20,000 linemen and builders and tree trimmers began converging on Florida from all over the country as far away as. California. And they were driving all these vehicles, all these utility trucks and tree trimming trucks and hauling bulldozers. And they sat just outside of Harm's Way, outside of Florida, so that they were ready to enter once the storm had safely passed. And they parked gasoline tankers on the shoulders of the interstate so that they could refuel these vehicles. Someone who watched this says, It was as organized as the D-Day invasion at Normandy. And this generous and efficient response was recapitulated by ordinary Americans in neighborhoods hit hard by winds and flood. And so in Katy, Texas, near Houston, Crystal Meadows, a stay-at-home mother of four, watched day after day as firemen slogged past her house, day after day through these flooded streets in the same drenched, muddy clothing. And so one evening, late after curfew, Crystal marches down the street to the firehouse around the block and retrieves the clothes and brings them home and does the laundry and then brings the fireman's clothing back. The next day, Crystal and her husband commandeer the parking lot of the local Elks Lodge and convince their neighbors to bring them their barbecue grills. And over the next five days, Crystal and her husband cook 15,000 meals for first responders and for neighbors without food and water. And Miss Meadows said, I can't rescue anybody, but I can do the laundry and I can cook a meal. Yes, we do what we can with what we've got. Some of you are cash rich and time poor. You're working too hard to teach Sunday school or serve on a committee, but you can support us financially. Some of you are cash poor and time rich. Maybe you're without a job. Maybe you're retired. You can support us with your sweat equity, with a tithe of your hours and your days. That's my hope for stewardship this year in 2017. 2018, that all of us will do what we can with what we've got. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen.